Good morning, and um, thank you very much for coming out today on this uh, wintry day. And uh, as Kevin said, we are starting a new series uh, today, a, a series on uh, the book of Romans in the New Testament, the first epistle, the first letter in um, in the New Testament, and we're going to study this book over the next few months here at the, at the family service. And Romans is one of the standout books in the Bible. The Bible has 66 books, and they are all um, inspired by God, and they are all there in the Bible for a very good reason. But if you were to pick out some standout books in the Bible, then Romans would definitely be one of them. Romans, the book of Romans, this letter that was written by Paul to the church in Rome, has altered, has changed the course of many people, hundreds and thousands of people have had their lives changed and influenced greatly by this particular book. Let me give you an example. In August 1513, there was an Augustinian monk and a professor of theology in the University of Wittenberg in what is now Germany. His name was Martin Luther. And Martin Luther, he was a monk, obviously, and a professor, so he was a very religious person. Yet his mind was very troubled because he was very preoccupied with and he was agonizing over finding a gracious God. And he was trying his best through his efforts to find a gracious God. And he was greatly troubled. And he later wrote a commentary, a book about Romans, and he, read, he, he wrote this in the preface to the book. He says, I had greatly longed to understand Paul's letter to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but one expression, the righteousness of God. It's a, an expression that we come across in the first chapter of Romans, uh, it's not one in our verses and our section today, but uh, we will come across it a few times, no doubt. Nothing stood in the way but this one expression, the righteousness of God, because I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and acts righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Night and day I pondered, Martin Luther said, until I grasped 
the truth, that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us by faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be born again and to have gone through open doors into paradise. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway into heaven. And so it was through Romans, and particularly verse 17 of chapter 1, which we'll not deal with today, that Martin Luther's eyes were opened, and he realized that God's righteousness could be obtained not through efforts of his, but through faith in Christ and in Christ alone. That was in 1513. And of course, if you know a bit about history, you will know that Martin Luther became a very important person in the Reformation, which I think started in 1516, and which changed Europe. But it had other effects as well. Let me give you uh, another example. The consequences of Luther's insight into the liberating gospel according to Romans are found throughout history. And in the evening of 24th of May, 1738, so this is now 225 years later, a man named John Wesley unwillingly went to a meeting in Aldersgate Street in London. And there someone was reading Luther's preface to his commentary on Romans that we have just read. And John, Les John Wesley says this about a quarter before nine, while this person was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did not trust in Christ. Sorry. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken my sins away, even mine and saved me from the law of sin and death. Now that critical moment in John Wesley's life provided the spark or the, which kindled the undistinguishable blaze of the 18th century evangelical revival which swept throughout Britain. John Wesley and his brother Charles Wesley, and we sing many of their hymns, were, became great evangelists. And they preached the gospel up and down this country and, and further afield. And hundreds and thousands of people were saved. 
And John Wesley was saved through Luther's testimony. And Luther was saved through reading Romans. So, you have been warned. By coming here and hearing Romans being read and expanded, your life could be changed. And we pray that it will be, just like Luther and John Wesley and thousands of other people. Now, Romans, if we were to summarize Romans in a very short sentence, it could just be this, the gospel of God. The gospel of God. Because this letter, as, as we'll see, is full of it. It's saturated with the gospel. So, with that um, in mind, let's read um, the first uh, seven verses. And if you haven't got a Bible, then the text is on the screen there. Hopefully it's big enough for most people to see. So let's read together. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And may God bless these wonderful verses. Now this is, is an introduction uh, that Paul uh, has written. It's a, it's a rather long introduction. And uh, we see how uh, in this introduction he introduces himself and he addresses the people to whom he's writing it's a little bit the other way around from when we would write a letter in these days not that many people write letters nowadays but we would normally start with dear uh, John and then we would write what we have to say and then we would say you're sincerely um, Robert or whatever um, it's the other way around uh, in, in ancient Rome. And here Paul, he, he starts with who he is. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. So this was Paul. He called himself two things. A servant. The word could be translated bond servant or even slave. Doulos. 
is the word. He saw himself as a slave. He, Paul, this was a very humble title that Paul gave himself. But he wasn't just a servant that um, of low esteem, but he was also called to be an apostle. And that's a title of great dignity because Paul recognized that God had called him for something special. He had sent him. He had given him a mission. And so Paul, he was a servant of Christ and he was an apostle. And he wrote to the people in Rome, verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. And then he says this lovely little greeting, grace to you and peace from God. Grace to you and peace from God. Notice the order of this little greeting, greeting at the end there. Grace to you and peace. Grace comes before peace. Always does in the scripture. If you want to know peace in your heart, you first need to experience the grace of God in your life. Now, Paul had never been in Rome at this point when he wrote this letter. And um, he didn't plant this church. Paul, normally when he writes the letters that we read, we have in, in the New Testament to the churches, he writes to churches that he had planted, he had established. But Paul, he hadn't planted this church. He had never visited these people. And when we come to chapter 15 in, Rome, in Romans, it's clear that Paul is on his way now to Jerusalem when he writes this. And he's probably writing from Corinth in Greece. And he's heading to Jerusalem. And he's telling them, the people in Rome, that he's planning to go to Spain, not to go to Spain on a holiday, to Ibiza or, or wherever. He, he's going to Spain to preach the gospel because the gospel hadn't been preached in Spain. And he tells them that he hopes to stop in Rome on the way to Spain, to see them and to meet them. And he writes this letter to them and he's going to deal with some, some specific issues that they have to deal with in the church in Rome. And he comes to that when he gets to chapter 12 and onwards. But up to that point, Paul presents to them the gospel. And as I mentioned earlier, Romans is a unique presentation of the gospel. And the verse that we've read together in this introduction is actually a, a very succinct, succinct summary of what the gospel is all about. So we're going to think about six features of the gospel as Paul mentions here. And I'm just going to highlight them in the text. So this is kind of my study notes that kind of that you'll see. So the first one, the first feature of the gospel is 
that it is the gospel of God. Now that is, I suppose, a very obvious thing. By the way, let me just say to you, before I say a bit about that, that the gospel, you may have heard this many times, but it's worth repeating. The gospel, the word gospel, euangelion in Greek, where we get the word evangelical, um, simply means good news or good tidings. And we sang about that with the children, didn't we? Good news, good news, Christ died for me. So the gospel is good news. And it's so important today that we tune in or that we read the good news of the gospel. If you tune in to news today, you read news today, um, I don't need to tell you that there is not a lot of good news about today. You never hear about marriages in the news that are going on well. For the you know, we never hear about unity in nations and in neighborhoods in the news. It's not newsworthy. So the news are generally, not always, of course, but generally full of sad news. But in the gospel, we have good news, good tidings. So that's what the word gospel means. And we see here, right at the start, that Paul says, I, I have been set apart for the gospel of God. It is the gospel of God. And that's the source. It's not Paul that dreamt up the gospel. It is not the apostles, Peter, or anyone else. It is the gospel of God. It is God who is the source. It's, the, it's God who is the author of the gospel. Later on in Romans, Paul speaks about my gospel. But it wasn't Paul's gospel as such in, this, in the way that he invented it or he wrote it, but he had personalized it. And it became his mission to preach it, so he calls it my gospel. But as far as where does the gospel originate from, it is God. And when we read scripture, we see that God had a plan even from before the world began, even before the first day, even before time began, God had a plan of redemption, a plan of salvation for mankind. And so God's plan of redemption is his plan. So the gospel, as far as where it originates from, it is from God. And then Paul says in verse 2, which he promised beforehand 
through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And the word I want to think of here is promise. Promise. You know, the, the gospel that the Lord Jesus preached and he began to preach the gospel at the very outset of his ministry. We read about that in Mark chapter 1. The gospel that Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. The gospel that Paul preached. And, and the gospel that we preached here, we, we preach here at Fernley, is a gospel that was promised and we see it in the Old Testament. Now we've just celebrated Christmas and... If you, had, if you were at any of the Christmas services or you read about Christmas, the real Christmas, if you like, about the coming of Christ into this world, you will have seen that it was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. His birth, where he was born in Bethlehem. And that his, his mother was a virgin, and, and all these things were fulfillment of Old Testament pro prophecies. And right through Scripture, right through the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis, right from the start, from chapter 3, we see the gospel promised by God. And God is a God who keeps promises. And he promised that he would send a savior, that he would, that there would be a savior, a Messiah who would be born. And so much detail is given about that in the Old Testament, in prophetic form, or in, 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 in pictures, and in promises. And these promises were fulfilled in Christ. So... It is the gospel of God as far as origin is concerned. It's the gospel that was promised in the Old Testament. What is the gospel all about? Well, that's what verse 3 tells us. It's the gospel of God. Verse 2 is like a bracket. Concerning his son. So here we have or we might say the substance of the gospel, the, the center, the very heart of the gospel is God's son. He is at the very heart. He is the heartbeat of the gospel. He is the one that the gospel is all about. The gospel of God concerning his son. In verse 9, if you cast your eye, if you have your Bible open, there Paul says, For my God, for, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. The gospel of his son. So there we see again what the gospel is about. It is about Christ. And in this verse, in verse 3 and in verse 4, Paul packs in a lot of truth concerning Jesus, concerning the Son of God. 
And I suppose we could devote a whole meeting about just verses 3 and 4, but we won't. You will be pleased to hear. But we see in this verse who his son, God's son, is, his identity, and what he did, his accomplishments. The gospel of God concerning his son, and then he says, who was descended from David according to the flesh. So here we see the humanity of Christ, the humanity, that he became a human being. He was descended from David according to the flesh, both on Mary's lineage and Joseph's lineage were from the tribe of David. And he was descended and, and he was 100% human, like us, except that he was without sin. So he was human. That's what Paul says in, in, in verse 3 there when he says he, was, he descended from David according to the flesh. But he was not only human. He was also divine. This morning we sang in the previous meeting, verily God yet become truly human. And that's so true. Because in verse 4 we see this that he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he was, he became a man and we see that he was descended from David, but he was declared to be the son of God. Notice that he wasn't, he didn't become the son of God because Jesus is the pre-existent eternal son of God and at his resurrection which implies that he died first of course at his resurrection he was declared in power to be the son of God God showed to the world that he this was the son of God through the resurrection or by his resurrection from the dead. So the Lord, he was truly human. He was God manifest in flesh. And he is the one who laid down his life. He died, but he rose again. This is the center. This is the substance of the gospel. No Christ, no gospel. If it wasn't for Christ, we wouldn't be having a gospel meeting like this. We wouldn't have a gospel hall like the one we are in. Christ is the gospel. And we want to preach Christ today. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We sang that with the children a few minutes ago. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door to heaven. He is the savior. He is the redeemer. He is everything we need. Christ is everything we need. He is the substance of the gospel. What is the purpose? What was the purpose of 
what was and is the purpose of the gospel. Paul says in verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. This is the purpose. This is why God sent his son into this world. And this is why Paul was an apostle and preached the gospel. It was to bring about the obedience of faith. We read exactly that same phrase at the very end of Romans chapter 16, verse 26 or, or thereabouts. So the Romans is bookended with these words to bring about the obedience of faith. Now we thought about faith and the importance of faith when we earlier spoke about Martin Luther. You know, Martin Luther, this very religious person who was trying to achieve the righteous, righteousness of God through his own efforts, he came to realize that he could only receive God's righteousness through faith, by trusting, through believing in God's Son, believing the gospel. And so this is the purpose. This is why we preach the gospel today, so that you, if you have never trusted Christ, that you have the obedience of faith. Now, you might think obedience of faith, that's a strange kind of, is that not um, a contradiction of terms? If faith is just simply believing, is obedience not like earning something through obedience? And the answer to that is no, this is not a contradiction of terms because the gospel, as well as being an invitation from God to come, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The gospel is an invitation. The gospel is also a command. In the book of Acts chapter 17, Paul says that God commands men everywhere to repent. So the gospel is an invitation to have your sins forgiven, to have eternal life, to have hope. But the gospel is also a command, repent and believe. So how do we respond to that? We respond through the obedience of faith. We trust God we obey his command and we trust him. So it's not about earning your way into heaven. It's simply trusting in Christ. And of course, we know that faith, and this is possibly how we could think of this as well, that faith in Christ leads to a life of obedience. Because being a Christian is not just making a decision. It's about giving your life to Christ and living for him. So that's why Paul speaks at the very start and the very end of Romans about the obedience of faith. 
And so we think about the purpose, and then time is moving on, so let's move on. Let's think about the scope of the gospel. Who is the gospel for? Paul says here that he received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, among all the nations. In verse 16 of this chapter, Paul says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or also to the Gentile. So the gospel, the scope of the gospel is not narrow, it is wide. It is among all the nations that Paul preached the gospel and we are glad of that because the gospel has reached our shores, the shores of Britain or wherever you're from. I'm not from Britain, but the gospel reached the shores of the far-flung islands of the Pharaohs, where I'm from. And I'm glad about that. And I trust that you are as well, that the scope of the gospel is the nations, not the Jews, not the good, but the nations. The gospel, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And so that is the, the scope. And then finally, what is the goal? What is the ultimate goal of the gospel? The ultimate goal of the gospel is the glory of God. The ultimate goal of the gospel is not your salvation. That's an, um, that is the purpose, immediate purpose of the gospel is to save you and I from hell, from eternal judgment, and to save us and bring us to heaven and to have eternal life. That's the, that's the immediate purpose. But the ultimate goal of the gospel is that God's name is glorified that God's name is glorified for the sake of his name and so God's God is glorified when sinners are saved and in the future when those who are saved will be in heaven standing before God we will give glory to God who saved us from our sins. Nothing to do with us, all because of God and all for his glory and all through Christ and through Christ alone. And so today I present you the gospel. I don't present you a religion that you need to do something I present to you a person, and that person is Christ. And what do we do with him? We simply believe, trust that he died for us on the cross for our sins, that he rose again, and that he can save, and he can save 
completely. It would have been wonderful for the people in Rome, the Christians in Rome. You know, they lived under fear. There was a Roman despot, Roman Caesar called Nero, who hated Christians. And that's where they lived. And Paul could say to them, you are loved by God. And you are called to be saints. Because they had responded in faith to the gospel, that was where they were. Let me just finish with a quote that I came across recently. And it kind of summarizes the gospel and what it is about and how the gospel is different from religion today. As long as you think you can save yourself, any religion will do. But when you find out that you need a savior, the list is very short. There's only one, and his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the only savior of the world. And we thank you for the gospel, and we thank you that it's the gospel of God. And we thank you that it's the gospel about Christ. And we thank you that it is for everyone. And it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And so, Father, we pray that as we think about these words today, and if we are spared in the future, in coming weeks, we think more about what the gospel is and what the gospel does. We pray that you will bless it. And bless it to our hearts now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.